Cannabis Corner on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We are streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or go to your Facebook page and look us up. You can also hit C first to hear and see all the great programs we have here on WNHA. It is Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Welcome to Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joe Lachance, and I am joined here, as usual, by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Lou Vega. Uncle Lou, how are you today, sir? What's up, Joe? I'm rolling a blunt. I'm having a good day, you know, getting off the high of the weekend. You know, you're still here in Connecticut. I know you're still experiencing the high of the weekend, you know, Nikan and kind of everything that was going on. I'm really excited about today's guest as well. We have a great show ahead of us. Joe, this is is a beautiful day out here, you know, and then New York Rican weekend is coming up. You know what I mean? I don't know if people know what that is, but, you know, New York's in. Puerto Rican Day Parade's coming up. That's, That's a big deal there. in New York. Yeah. Yeah, man. So we're we're really excited. That's going to be June 10th and 11th. The 116th Festival is June 10th. And then June 11th is the New York City Puerto Rican Day Parade, which also gives uh, a lot of prominence to the Connecticut Puerto Rican festivals that are going on. I know that um, we don't, we, we like to celebrate everything and all the cultures and everybody who's doing something. And that's one thing that we, we, uh, like to celebrate near and dear to our own hearts. So That's we'll be right. able to have uh, some celebrations and some local Puerto Rican civic uh, pride as well, you know? That's right. We both got links to Puerto Rico, so it's very important. Very, very important. It's a very cool thing. Anybody who knows the Puerto Rican Day Festival in New York City is a wild If you've time. ever gone, I hope you go. If you've never gone, you should go. Yep, I've been. Uh, you know, it's a it's a great time. It's a great fun fun experience. You know, you usually great go food. have great a great time. Food. Have a you know, there's a lot of people in vibing, you know, in whatever many ways that you choose to invibe. But it's definitely a great atmosphere, um, one of celebration and joy and happiness. So. What else do you got going on, Joe? Well, I just wanted to, you know, say the same thing you did, man. He can with this weekend. I think it was a huge success. Uh, Mark said it exceeded expectations, so I was very, very pleased. Obviously, not coming here that often, it was really nice to see everybody 
and talk to all the people uh, that I have not seen in a long time. Some great vendors, some great products there that uh, you know I hadn't been in touch with before. I finally got to meet like the guys from Ascended CBD who we had on the show. They gave me some street nuts. There you go, Joe. Yeah, I get to try all the products that I get, I talk about. I got to try the wine, the CBD it's wine all good that we times had. And good people, you know. Yeah. So it was nice to have good people around, good good times, good people, good experience, good networking. It was the market is maturing. I say this over and over and over. The market here is maturing. So there's a lot of opportunities for individuals that are looking to do things, you know. So that, yeah, you know, I that, that was into, really prevalent at, at the show. Yeah, and I and I think that that's going to lead into what's going on. There's jobs, there's environment, there's people working, there's opportunities, there's some shortcomings on things, but there's also some, some advantages. There's, there's a lot of things in the works. There's a lot of things happening, but there's also a lot of challenges. You know, our keynote speaker was Jason, and it was a great speech, but I, I hope that everybody got out of it was get active, stay involved. You know, things are going to change only but as much as we let them. So if we yeah. don't do anything to make the change, there will be no change. Right, right. And even if it's in the littlest way, you just get out there and make the change. You know, I thought we, we had some great panels. Um, You know, I know you did two panels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I did a panel myself. I moderated a panel. Yeah, you also uh, introduced us, which I was very pleasantly, you know, pleasantly surprised and joyous that we had. It was it was great that a lot of great people were doing things, because even while my my lecture was going on, my speech, you know, right next door was another great speech going on. The women in cannabis speech, you know, right. Uh, right. Kristen Uzma. Uh, Mallory and I, I don't want to be rude and forget the last person, but that everybody that was on there was, was so reliable in everything that they're doing. And it was so exciting to see everybody so engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Very much, very much. So, and, and actually today's guest was on a very uh, interesting panel with Mike Goodenough yep. and the professors that he had on, and it was very in-depth, uh, very, very in depth about like you got to moderate that panel, right? No, I didn't. Mike was the moderator. I oh, did Mike the medical, was and that's another great guy right there, man. Always a huge shout out to Mike Good Enough doing amazing things in the space. Yep, I look. I got the. I got the cola, the Sweet Heel Cola. Uh, I was. I've been drinking it. It's pretty good. I don't know if you got to try it, but it's CBD infused cola. Yeah, uh, from Sweet Heel. And uh, it's pretty good. I've been drinking it this morning before we got on the air. Look at that. It's always nice to have those great products after the uh, events as well. You but, know? Yeah. Yeah. I walked out with a ton of stuff. Uh, and you know what? I actually, probably the best time was that party. The after party was a dope experience. You enjoyed the after party a lot. Yeah, it was the camaraderie, Joe. It was the camaraderie, I believe, the most. Yeah, absolutely the camaraderie. Uh, especially for downtown Hartford, we were able to do what we were able to do. It was nice to have the people there. It was nice to have everybody kind of working together. It was really nice to, to have 
the community kind of reintroduce itself out there to a broader spectrum of people, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, because it was in downtown Hartford. There were a lot of professional people there. Uh, we had a, a very good attendance, so I'm happy about that. And yeah, I think it overall it was really, really good for the community. The after party was great. They had some really cool stuff. They had a pinata uh, that looked like Harry Anslinger. And uh, I was lucky I got to do the first hit on it. Uh, but eventually we broke it open. And oh, yeah. All, ki all kinds of goodies in there. I got all kinds of goodies from there, loaded with products and candy. We got some candy too, but. Mostly uh, products that were donated by all the great sponsors. A lot of people sponsored the events. Big shout out to Connecticut. Big shout out to Better Ways for putting that party together. Yep. Big shout out to those guys who are guests on the show. Big part of, you know, the community growing right now. And they've, they've done a lot of the footwork to make sure that people can continue to have a space in their in that in those localized communities you know what i mean yeah yeah and they do a great job they do a great job and, and you know it was nice to see kimura up there kimura had a table uh the can of warriors had a table up there uh and uh you know all these people and aaron aaron was on the panel with me yep. she's got the wholeness house which is right around the corner there was a lot of really awesome local people that were doing really great things. Um, I guess the next step is what what um what what's who who do we have on our show today? You know, Ellen I mean? Brown. She's going to call in in a couple minutes. Uh, just said she's running a tiny bit late. Oh no worries. So she'll be on. In a minute. Yeah, I saw Ellen on the panel, and we know Ellen from. Uh, all our CT classes that we did down here. And of course, you and I have known Ellen forever and ever. But the people in Connecticut would know Ellen from coming down here and teaching classes. But and, uh, she's a great, great person. She's a great teacher. Uh, she's been an educator for over 10 years. Because um, I know I worked with her 10 years ago when we did the school. And, uh, One of the really cool things is when she actually uh, educated everyone at the Connecticut Science Center. Yes, that's right. We brought her down. That's right. That's right. That's right. We brought her in for that. That was a very cool event. Uh, yeah, and she's very known and well-respected throughout the industry. She uh, actually does the certifications for Massachusetts and Vermont, and she'll talk a little bit about that when she... Uh, she comes on the air, but yeah, she was a part of that panel with Mike Goodenough, and she looks great. It's always great to see her. A um, lot of good things. When you talk about a true industry professional, that's somebody that would always come to mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a true industry veteran, like somebody who you know who has been through it. She's a, a, a literal veteran, too, you know? She told her story, uh, and we'll have you know about how she uh, got out of the, uh, I believe, the Air Force, and uh, just decided to get into cannabis. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. 
Um, and she actually started out in California. But I, I don't want to tell her story. No, she'll tell her story as she gets on the air. Joe, you know what I mean? You were here. You got to see so many people. Was it exciting to see the amount of different brands and individuals that were coming up? I'm, you know, give a quick shout out to uh, Ripple Wellness, who also got a cultivation license and they had a nice showing. Um, they had, they won the best of in New York uh, through the Legacy Operators Council out there. You know, there'll be a Legacy Operators Council starting out here as well. So big shout out to all those uh, individuals who are going to start entering the space and all the legacy individuals who are looking for their way in, you know? Yeah. And you know what I was impressed with? The amount of genetics companies that were involved, you know, and how there was a big focus on growing. Uh, there were people, you know, selling starters. Home grow is here, Joe. That's a big part of it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Homegrow is here. We're July 1st. Um, you know, if you're a medical patient, you can start before that. You know, so there's there's a lot of advantages to start growing your own. And, and I know that there's not a, any true legacy operator will always say, even if they're licensed in cultivation or whatever it may be, they'll, they will always make sure to tell you, go ahead and grow some weed. It's it's right. As much as as much as I I. I it was my favorite hobby, Joe. Growing weed was my favorite hobby. It was something that I loved doing. I still love doing. But it's so different when you're a commercial cultivator. Still want to have that little, that little piece of personal grow, I guess. You know what I mean? I still, I'm yeah. a medical patient. Yeah. And in my house, I still keep just the legal amount. So, you know, just enough to kind of have that feeling and not enough to get in trouble, but it, it becomes the hobby that you want to make sure you have. And it's, it's yeah. tough when it switches over, you know? So we advocate 100% for individuals to be able to grow, you know, yeah. six plants in somebody's basement is not going to topple the, the marijuana industry, you know? No, no, not at all. So. Not at all. Cause there's always going to be still people who want to buy in a store. That's right. And I think that's right. People need to be able to. Yeah. And the amount of the amount of genetics was amazing. I was very happy with seeing the amount of people. There was a lot of genetic resellers, but it was nice to at least see that that was there. There were some local folks who were literally just starting up. So I got to see some of those dudes. So um, I guess a shout out to the local dude called the dude. It was the dude seeds. And he yeah. was selling five seeds for 20 bucks, keeping it yep. really close. I got him. I got some. You know, yeah, you know, that's an awesome thing. And those are the type of individuals. Like, I think that was the coolest thing. Joe, I hope you, you know, I, I know we're going to probably have a whole new list of guests coming on oh, yeah. that are going to want to start showcasing themselves because there were so many new faces that I just had never seen, Joe. And it's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I took a ton of business cards, talked to a lot of people about coming on the show. I picked up some genetics from myself for myself. But our guest is here, Lou. Oh, I absolutely adore that. Let's get it. Let's make sure she's yep. go ahead. Me, tell the story, brother. Yeah, let me give her a proper intro. Uh, with us today is Ellen Green, and she is the founder and the owner of Green Path Training. And since 2013, Green Path Training has provided education to the cannabis industry with the highest level of integrity and professionalism. 
offering trainings on a myriad of topics from compliance to cultivation. Our veteran woman-owned business continues to grow and flourish as we expand into new states every day. Taking our small business from concept to accreditation, we became the first approved vendor trainer in the state of Vermont and one of the first approved responsible vendor trainers in Massachusetts. So if you want to get on the path to success, just work with Green Path Training. Ellen, how are you, my friend? It's so wonderful to see you. Oh, Joe, it's wonderful to see you. How have you been? I haven't seen you since this weekend. Lou, how are you? <laughs> what a wonderful show. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. And we're looking, I'm looking forward to hearing the new adventures you got going on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, yeah. you know, uh, compliance training. So right now doing compliance training in Massachusetts, doing compliance training in Vermont, uh, branching out into different states. So um, that's been a lot of fun. And it's been wonderful getting to watch the progress of Connecticut coming online. It was so great getting to see a bunch of hopeful faces getting into the industry, a bunch of new entrepreneurs on the exhibitor floor. Uh, saw a lot of news. I didn't realize it was the first uh, NECAN that had been held in Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We got a ton of media coverage. I was surprised, but all the major stations were here. We got, uh, at, you know, articles on all the major websites and stuff. So. Yeah, no, it was great. It was very, very exciting. Uh, I'm really happy to have been a part of it, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the big focuses on the on NECAN, of course, me and Lou were talking, is education. And that, of course, is your specialty, you know. Uh, you've been a veteran uh, educator for uh, over 10 years now, correct? Yes, sir. Um, and I was thinking about it when we were at the convention, the classes we would throw with uh, or put together with Kibra, where we'd hold classes in, you know, different places, different venues around Connecticut. One time we had uh, the the roof literally caught on fire. So we ended up teaching a class in a church because Kibra knew the people that were there. So we've had some some really wonderful times during yeah. the, the time of, you know, getting to see the industry come to life. Back in the old days, right? The yeah, days. for sure. <laughs> I sound like an uh, an old man now, but you know, I was telling we are veterans. You know, we really are. We're veterans of this industry. Uh, you know, we have seen funny things like that. You know, you and, know what and, I was worse. What I, Joe, you know what I was hoping to bring up and have a quick snippet of uh, reminiscing. So, yeah. Curaleaf had their uh, a release party. For their one of their new adult use products at the science center. And Ellen was the educator at the very first liquid lounge that allowed cannabis education. So, you know, talk about breaking ground going from, you know, Ellen teaching about the plan and everybody giving her a hard time there through the Department of Consumer Protection to now uh, you know, it's a release party. It's like an album release party at the at the science center, you know? Oh, I remember they, uh, I, so I taught a course on cultivation and when I teach cultivation, especially in states that at the time you had a medical program where medical patients were not allowed to cultivate for themselves. You only had three brick and mortar dispensaries, even less producers of cannabis cultivation. And yeah. there was nowhere for patients in the state to get their medicine tested at a laboratory to see how their 
testing results were doing, how their cannabinoids were coming out, how their terpene profiles were coming out, if they had any, you know, residual solvents or anything like that, if they were making extracts at home, but there were, the ability wasn't there for medical patients. So as I was teaching, I was letting them know, hey, in the state of Massachusetts, you can do this. And it's a point of advocacy and you have to talk to the uh, Department of Consumer Protections to get these changes happening. And uh, the feedback I got was that uh, when I was teaching, I was, uh, they're like, well, you're teaching with an agenda. You know, you're not just teaching cultivation. You're also teaching with an agenda. Like it's a bad thing to tell people that, you know, right now these things are available in other states, but not in your state until legislative change happens. And that legislative change won't happen without you being educated and advocating. So there was some serious uh, opposition from the governing body about actually teaching people how to not only educate themselves, but educate themselves in a way that they could have reform. And now that reform is here, those times are past us, uh, hopefully. So now we'll be able to see that with education, there should be a teach for reform that I feel goes hand in hand, especially with states that need certain changes. And every state has different changes they need. I think it's on us as educators to say not only, you know, here's, you know, seed to harvest, but also if you want to be able to harvest and then have that product be able to get its way into the store, you have to advocate for craft manufacturing licenses. You have to advocate for an equity program. You have to advocate for lower barriers to entry for smaller businesses. You have to advocate for OSD certified businesses to mean something, whether it's minority owned, veteran owned, woman owned, um, LGBTQ plus owned. Those are businesses that will literally get snuffed out by these larger corporations that are going to try to cut us off at the legs at the um, legislative level, as well as any way they can in, you know, marketing, branding, things like that. So we as a small, you know, craft farmers really need to be uh, wise to what these larger corporations are doing, what pieces of legislation they're going before, not only the Department of Consumer Protections, but also other legislative branches there in the state of Connecticut. It's very easy for change to get made that would make it almost impossible for a small person or a small cultivator to get in. Anybody who, you know, doesn't have multi-million dollars at the ready might, might find themselves in a position where they can't even get into the uh, industry that they advocated for. Well, yeah, and, and Connecticut is kind of an example for that, unfortunately. Um, they did make some microcultivator licenses available, and they were at a reasonable price, but they were very difficult to get. One, because the lottery was kind of rigged. The problem, you know, Joe, the hardest And they only gave out two, right, Lou? Exactly. They only gave two out for regular and two out for social equity. Realistically, yeah, they could have given ridiculous. out 10. And it wasn't anything in legislation, but that's that fight that we got to keep fighting because at any given point, realistically, they can say, well, we'll open up 15 more licenses for microcultivator. And that's a that's just through process. So that's more words say it, more everything. That's where that would go, you know? But, yeah, they should have gave out way more. I don't understand how a lottery was able to happen. So when I worked in uh, the dispensary in California in 2010, our doors ended up getting shut in 2011 because of a court case, Long Beach first pack, pretty much the city of Long Beach did the same thing the state of Connecticut did where they take a lottery, you have to pay into the lottery, but only X amount of spaces. And if you didn't get, you know, a ticket, you still lost the cash that you put up, which seems crazy to me. 
why not just do a first come first serve and then just have them like be in the queue somewhere. And then when the availability comes, let them go. It doesn't make sense to do a lottery and to allow large operators to be able to buy unlimited amount of tickets. What is going on? So, you know, a long time ago that I lost my job over something like that. And then it ended up, you know, um, we ended up seeing it so many years later. So I, with the lottery, I always think the lottery is a bad idea because it doesn't allow for, you know, merit over nepotism. It doesn't allow for those that worked very hard to get their application in first and worked very hard to get approved to be an uh, to be a social equity applicant to get them to the front of the line. You know, how many social equity applicants did you have that didn't even get a place in the queue? <laughs> Where do you go if you if you lost yeah. all that lottery money? Are you you know, we'll get back to you later. Do you start back at zero? That's so crazy to me to do that. You see, somebody from another state looks at that, somebody with some knowledge and says, what the hell are they doing there in Connecticut? But yet the, the lawmakers think there's nothing wrong with it. They get away with it without, I mean, obviously we said something, but it didn't change anything. They still did it you know what i mean um yeah it, it's just amazing to me the way they let that happen um again though i i did see some hope in the legacy market you know what i mean and i and i hate to say that but you know because i i advocated for legalization and i'm all about the legal market but until they get it right you know what i mean until new cultivators are able to come online, but you you brought up a good point. Somebody who wants to go maybe a little bigger than a multi, uh, you know, a micro cultivator, um, did have to put up a lot of money to get into the game, and, and wasn't even guaranteed. You know what I mean? You lose that money forever. That money is gone and gone to what and gone to where and gone to who and when and where will it be allocated? You know, it's, it leaves a lot more questions and answers, especially when you have something as ambiguous as a general fund. A general fund needs to have percentages, figure out where it's going to be advocated or, I mean, allocated to. Is it going to uh, prevention education? Is it going to helping areas that were disproportionately impacted? Is it going to a loan or a grant fund for equity applicants? Do we have to advocate for where these different percentages go? Like we are in the state of Massachusetts, they had a general fund and now where, um, you know, because it was written in the legislation, we now have our, um, our equity loans, but now we still have other, you know, um, a remainder in the fund. So where does that other, you know, money get allocated to? Can we put it into, uh, different grants, different loans, different funding, different areas that were disproportionately impacted. And all of that is advocacy. If we don't advocate, then we're going to find ourselves in a situation where that money just kind of disappears or goes to things that were, you know, never really a part of where never what it was advocates thought they were going to go, you know? Well, the way they've done it so far, and of course, all the money isn't in yet, but They've given, put some away into a fund that is supposed to be allocated out to social equity applicants. Uh, but the, the majority of the tax money is going to go into the general fund, you know? And so 
that's, you know, and right now the state of Connecticut has a surplus. He's mm -hmm. already said we have money we need to spend. Well, I'm sure a lot of that money came in from the lottery and the fees that were paid and, and you know, a lot of the cannabis money. So uh, let's put it back where it belongs. Let's put it back into the real places where it needs it, you know, where it was uh, intended to go. You know, of course, it's it's always it's always like a uh, it's always a process, like you said. It's always a process. Absolutely, and every year we figure out, you know, who do I need to talk to, especially yeah. when legislative reform comes into hand. So, for example, in the state of Massachusetts, I've been advocating since. Uh, 2013 for reciprocity for medical patients. I've been right. at this since the Department of Public Health. That's a name drop. They're not even the governing body of our medical program anymore. Now we have the Cannabis Control Commission. So I've complained or you know brought up that suggestion to the uh, Department of um, Department of Public Health. I brought it up to the first round of commissioners back in 2017 when they were listening for uh, regulatory changes for draft regulations, when we got the adult use program, I said, don't forget, we still need reciprocity. I emailed the initial group of uh, commissioners and now those commissioners are no longer there. Every single person has cycled out of their original seat. So now I'm on a new batch of commissioners. And what I realized is the commission can't help me. The DPH can't help me. The executive director can't help me. Who can help me? My legislator. So I've had to reach out to my state senator, Sue Moran. I had to let her know what the problem is. And now I had to get a bill amendment put into uh, the, the legislature, which will now have to have co-sponsors of other senators and state representatives, and then it'll go to the Judiciary Committee, not the Cannabis Committee, um, for review. And then in this two-year process, we'll see if they'll finally allow for reciprocity. So I'm going on, uh, oh God, I'm going on almost a decade of trying the exact same thing to try to get medical reciprocity. So it does, it's not for the faint of heart. And after a while, um, I've actually started my emails with, I've been at this for eight years. <laughs> and people right. like, you've been at this for eight years? I was like, oh, I can prove it. I can prove that I've been oh, at yeah. this for eight years. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Me too. Eight years. And and me too. I, I get what you say. It can get to you. You can get burnout on it. Because at least for me, what happened was, you know, I always knew there was corruption in the government. I always knew it in my head. But when I actually saw it, in front of my face and had to deal with it and the corruption you know that the way that the the legislator is in the pocket of certain people and the way the the power that the lobbyists have paid lobbyists yes it really made my you know just sick to my stomach and really want nothing to do with it anymore and so now i've kind of gone back to speaking to the people you know what i mean and just getting the people kind of riled up about going up and making change because I think I, I want to go back to the ground floor where, where it's real because it's, it's a battle up there at, at Capitol Hill, you know? So, uh, yeah, and it can be a real grind. And I give a lot of credit to the guys like Jason Ortiz, like yourself, Christina, Joe yeah. Raymond. They keep going up to the Capitol. 
They keep trying to change laws. They keep holding rallies. Do you know what I mean? No matter what, they're always in the fight. And, you know, I really admire that. And they have still been able to make a, a, some good changes in the bills. But, yeah, right now there's some real crappy bills in the Connecticut legislature. They got one that's going to really change the whole CBD industry. And it's, Oh, it's, yeah. What is it? You can't sell anything. Delta 8, Delta 9, THCO, THCP, yeah. nothing outside of the stores, yeah. which I, I that's going to hurt. That is a, that's going to hurt the uh, hemp farmers. Yeah, that's going to hurt the hemp farmers. It's going to hurt the producers who make the mm -hmm. products from the hemp farmers. Right. And that's going to hurt the small shops that sell the products. Now, what they're claiming to be going after is the gas stations and the convenience stores, right? So they could set up a secret shopper program and then find those places if they're out of regulation, if they're not a CBD shop. You And you, you'd make more money on it doing kind of like a bars program than you would uh, doing something blanket across the board. Well, and there's ways around it you can specify gas stations. You can specify convenience stores. You can make an exception for people who are already holding a license. Or grandfather them in. Grandfather them in. Exactly. Um, so there are ways around it. And, you know, the, Mike D'Agostino even admitted that it was going to hurt the local CBD industry and he knew it, but he felt it had to be done to stop it from getting in the hands of children and making sure the products that are out there are tested, et cetera, et cetera, and safe. Uh, so. Uh, there's always, you know, the importance is always making sure that the diversion prevention is always on the forefront. We never want cannabis getting in the hands of um, the youth or anyone that shouldn't have it. But with that in mind, you know, you need to realize when there's going to be more of a, is there really a detriment to the youth population or is it more of a, a way to phrase it? So if we, if we scare people into thinking this will protect the children, because right now the children are not being protected when really it's to snuff out these smaller businesses for these larger corporations. Look at who's passing legislation. If they are a paid lobbyist, if they are backed by these larger corporations, if they, you know, even lobbyists that are 501c3s, that just means that they can get donations from these larger corporations and yep. the tax write-off. They'll spend all day at the state house telling people that X, Y, or Z is bad when realistically. I do admit that there is a problem with uh, rogue cannabis sales, you know, at gas stations that that's its own problem with making sure that we're getting things that are safe, that have been tested, that are supporting local, all that kind of good stuff. But at the same time, there's got to be more of a balance where it doesn't hurt the pre-existing brick and mortar shops that do have licenses that are selling these products that are reputable. So, you know, a, a blanket bill, I don't think is the way to go, but there, there is room for the conversation for sure. Yeah. I think like you say, keep it out of the gas stations, keep it out of the convenience stores. It should be limited to CBD and it should be limited. Honestly, if they really want to do something good for the industry to Connecticut, products only so that only Absolutely. Connecticut products 
can be sold in Connecticut stores. Keep the out-of-state products out, then you don't have to worry about the testing because the Connecticut products are tested in Connecticut to their standards. And maybe having more of a reporting system. If you see someone selling a product that's a rogue product that hasn't been tested, doesn't have a label, doesn't have a SKU that matches with the Department of Consumer Protections, well, that is a problem. If it says California, Canada, China, that's not right. It shouldn't come from anywhere outside of the state Connecticut, of Connecticut. Just, yeah, you know, in other words, that's the cannabis laws. Like, mm. there's no interstate trading. Everything at the dispensaries is made in Connecticut. So, and grown <laughs> in Connecticut, right? So if they just made it that way, so that all the hemp products sold in the state of Connecticut had to be manufactured and produced in Connecticut, they would greatly help the Connecticut hemp farmers instead of hurting them. You know and what then, I mean? And it just seems to me like all they've been doing lately is making legislation that's going to hurt our own local Connecticut hemp industry more than anything else. Why would you want to do that? Just to divert money into the adult use industry so you can make tax money on it? Well, you're making tax money on those hemp products too because those stores that are selling them are paying you taxes. Mm. They are paying taxes, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. It, it doesn't make logical sense. This is why it drives me nuts. Well, maybe it's not supposed to make logical sense. Maybe it's only supposed to make fiscal sense to capitalists, people that think, you know, if they're if they're going to be a problem to my bottom line, let's make them not a problem. We are, and I said this uh, at the panel, those larger corporations, they're coming for you. They're looking for any loophole or anything that would lessen a barrier to entry. And they're saying, how do we raise that? How do we make that more? How do we get and you guys out of here so that way we can corner the market? It's to them, it's just business. To us, it's personal. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to your legislator. It's who put up the better bill, who had more people supporting it. You know, what was what was the response from the general public? It's it's going to be a real hearts and minds, you know, um, petition and, and, wow. and long game as well as strategic. You know, we can't panic. We need to organize or we're going to get, um, you know, we're going to get pushed out of the industry that we help create. Yeah, well, yeah, and you make a good point how much power those lobbyists have. That is kind of my point. It just goes to show, and this was what kind of disheartened me, how the legislative bodies, or at least certain legislators in certain positions, do not have the interests of their constituents, of the state as a whole, of the industries within the state you know why take away from one to give to the other why can't everybody thrive why don't you want to have all thriving industries in your state they do not have our best interests at heart they are in the pockets of those lobbyists because those lobbyists help them write that bill but it's the legislators who propose it Mm -hmm. Correct. And they are supposed to. They are elected officials by us, by the people to represent us. Right. And they are not be, by putting bills like this out because they are basically hurting an industry, an entire industry and consumers, because now the consumers can't get those products. 
Now they have to go to a dispensary and get them and wait in line and pay more tax on them, right? Because they mm-hmm. tax it in a whole different way. If they buy it outside, you know, in, in, let's say at a head shop or at a CBD store, they're paying six and a half percent. But if they sell it in a dispensary, they can do that funky tax that they charge on potency and charge you more tax. So, you know, it is all about money. And that's what goes to show where the legislators heads are at. It's about money. It's about keeping the lobbyists happy. It's about keeping the big corporations happy. And it's not about representing the people. That's the worst part about government. It's gotten that corrupt. And to me, like you pointed out with the lottery, it's blatant. Mm. Any logical mind could see it. But yet they still do it. They're just blatant. You know, they just think they can do whatever they want. Much money as they want. It's getting terrible. Having thing it's absolutely terrible, but having conversations like this is, you know, can help to really maybe somebody who was like, wow, I thought a lottery was a good idea, but wait, that doesn't leave any room for merit or first come, first serve. And where does this fund go for the general, you know, the general fund and how can we allocate it? And well, what about small business? And what about equity? And what about a legacy priority period? What what do these kinds of things look like? So it's Every single person has to call their state legislator. I don't live in the state of Connecticut. So if I call somebody in Connecticut, if I call one of the state uh, legislators, representatives, senators, they're going to say, okay, but you're not my constituent. If a lot of people start to call and say, hey, this this issue is important to me, if more people start to, you know, share content like this and get the word out there, that's how that change is going to happen because, they need to know that this is going to affect their their votership moving forward. We will not continue to vote you into office if you do things that are not advantageous for the small guy, for the little business. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think another place where if people, let's say they can't get out or they don't have the time. Another place, yes, is email. But another place we found very effective is social media. They're all on social media. And we're all on social media, right? So how hard is it to follow your legislators? And just, they're going to come up on your feed, put them on first, see first, put them on all your feeds, especially Twitter. They love Twitter. And just start tweeting at them, commenting on their posts. And that includes the governor, Lamont. That includes all of them, commenting on their posts. You know, tweeting at him, commenting on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just getting at him on social media. Because the thing about social media is that not only do they see it, but so do all their followers. So, you know what I mean? It's better than an email because if you can post the right comment or, you know, send the right tweet and, you know, tag them, tag your legislator in it or whatever and tag the right people. You definitely can get a response, and I think you get more eyeballs. You know, email, only the legislator sees that email, right? A phone call, only the legislator himself hears that phone call, right? But if you do it on social media, not only does he see it, all his followers see it, right? And then maybe they learn they learn something that they didn't know. Oh, what are they trying to do? 
They're, they're, oh, they don't know all the time. One, the, right, the right but, hand and the left hand are constantly not yeah. talking to each other, which is insane. But you got to go with them with a little bit of grace and be like, hey, did you know that this is a problem? Did you know this bill was here? Because if you're if you come at them kind of like this is a problem, you should have fixed it. Da, 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 da. If you come at people in an accusatory way or in a way that's less than polite and professional, they're going to you know, be less likely to help you with your problem. If you say, hey, I'm a small business. This affects me greatly. This would be uh, detrimental to my success, longevity, and my ability to continue to move forward. They'll go, oh, I, I'm here for small business. What's going on? Right. So, you know, just keep it, keep it professional. And also when you, when I send my legislator an email, when I send an email, don't be afraid to CC a, a portion of the directory. I, I'll, I'll, uh, CC or blank carbon copy as many people as it takes for that email to get where it needs to get to. And if I don't That's hear from you, weeks, follow up. When you when you see when you send your legislator a message, BCC all your other fellow shop owners, all your because maybe they don't know about it either, and then they'll just have your email to use as a template and just. They'll, they'll resend it, resend it, resend it. But that's the key. It's, it's about numbers. You know, and it's about oh, getting to the right one who uh, can actually make a change. But that's, like I said, I was talking to Lou early in the show. I, I, you know, people like the Canna Warriors, people like you, Jason, and all that. Um, they, uh, you know, they got to be commended for what they do. Still doing it. We still need more new people to come. I think the whole point is the average person who doesn't even consider themselves an ow, oh, I'm not an ow. But they may be using those THCO products or those, T, those Delta 8 products. And they may actually like that effect better than the uh, weed, than regular weed. You know what I mean? So they don't go to dispensers and they wouldn't anyway. Or, you know, forget. We only got like nine dispensaries open selling yeah, adult juice in Connecticut, right? right? So, but there's a lot more CBD shops. There's a lot more head shops that sell those products that are still helping people with their anxiety or whatever. And um, all those people are going to be shut out. But maybe if they knew that the government was trying to take away their product, you know what I mean? They would get a little bit active, you know? So well, that's why it's up to the shop owners to be well, well educated and, and educate their customers. You know, when the next customer comes in to buy Delta A, or I even have a little sign, you know, the, yeah. the state is trying to ban all Delta A da, 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 products. You know, you can call your late state legislator here or you talk to them about it. You know, um, there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, and you got to use technology. You got to use social media, kind of hit them where it hurts. And, uh, because it was very effective in the, the legalization battle when the pandemic hit. Learned a lot from Absolutely. And thank you for everything uh, you've done in the state of Connecticut, Massachusetts, New England. Uh, you know, you're moving around the world, making sure that people are educated, that these conversations are still happening. And during the pandemic, it was such an important time to keep people abreast of what was going on because they couldn't go to their state house 
or their city council meetings or anything like that that we've been able to do since like the founding of our country. That's a big staple is getting to go and actually talk with your representative and getting to talk with these committees. And, and that was either taken away or became virtual. And now that, you know, we're having more of a hybrid or in person, those conversations are are just as important to, to be abreast to know when they're happening. Hey, yeah. this piece of legislation could be detrimental and shut your doors. This piece of legislation could be really advantageous. Show support, kill the bill, whatever it might be, you need to know and do it, or these things are going to happen. You know, they're going to happen to you and not for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's how government usually works. And that's what, unfortunately, most people don't understand. It is going to happen to them. Now more than ever, I think it's important for people to learn the whole legislative process and how it works, because there's a lot of things going on that they need to know about and, and may need to get involved in. But uh, no, it's been great talking to you. We got about three minutes left. I did want to cover Green Path because we talked a lot about activism. Real quick, tell, tell our listeners, what is compliance training? And how do people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, learn a little bit more about what you're doing? We got about three minutes left, so we got a few few minutes to chat. But you know, Green Path, you used to have since Amelia seminars. Uh, you do teach cultivation. You're an excellent cultivation on both large scale and small scale. Um, and but now you are doing the compliance training. Tell tell our listeners a little bit of what a compliance training is and what that entails and what you do. Uh, thank you. So compliance training, I've really enjoyed teaching because I do a lot of, as you know, legislative reform. So compliance training allows me to teach the regulations in order to keep my clients and different companies I work for, those that are uh, potentially looking to get into the industry, if they're thinking, you know, what would the barriers to entry be? What would I need to make sure that I have done? What would I need to know before I get started? Helping them kind of know what pitfalls are there, knowing what can get you a deficiency statement, knowing what to expect during an inspection. So for me, it's a lot of fun because I've been, you know, uh, advocating for legislative reform since it was 25 pages of draft regulations and now it's well over 150 pages of regulations just for adult use. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's okay. it's been it's been a lot of fun getting to read these regulations and then see, you know, where I'd like to see changes made, getting to teach the regulations to people and also seeing the different frameworks of other states. So like I said, Massachusetts, it's over 156 pages of regulations for just adult use. That's not our medical program. In the state of Vermont, their entire uh Currently, their entire um, regulations, all the regulations are 65 pages of regulations that are so concise that it, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. So states yeah. that have come online a little bit later have a, a more of an advantage because they might have the ability to look and see, you know, what have other states done? What's working for them? What's not working for them? And now I'm starting to do, uh, reach out and wait for approval of compliance training in states like Alaska putting together uh, frameworks for states like Maine, um, hoping to put together some uh, classes here in the state of Connecticut for those looking to get in and looking to get a license and what would they need for their agent cards. So uh, some people, I know that compliance might be, you know, it's not the the most exciting topic in the world, but it's it's the (laughs) the most important. important. Right, because you got to start with that. But not only that, you need to know what's going to keep you out of trouble. 
you know, because there's a lot of regulations and you could have one little violation and you need to know what, you know, you can be violated for what those regulations are. So you don't break them. Multi-million dollar deficiency statements that can close your doors. If you're a small tier one cultivation where it only costs you 50K to get a license, or if you're a tier 11 where you're over 100,000 square feet. So it can be anywhere from 5,000 square feet to 100,000 square feet. And, uh, you know, the, the, the price tag matches. So if you're a small business and you just got charged a quarter of a million dollars for an infraction, whether it was a labeling violation or um, something to that effect. If you had hazardous waste material that you didn't throw out, hazardous waste is spent lights because lights have mercury in them. So it's really interesting to to see that you won't only get in trouble with the Cannabis Control Commission, but you'll also get in trouble with the environmental protection agencies. The Cannabis Control Commission is your primary governing body. They're not the only governing body that you're beholden to. So I do like to let people know about that. so when it comes to compliance, I like to say I scare because I care and uh, I make sure that everybody gets to keep their doors open. And with that longevity and success of my customers, there's also longevity and success for my small business. I, I, I'm grateful to you, Joe Luchans, for all the opportunities you've given me throughout the years to get to work with you in, in multiple states and, and to continue to get to work with you. So thank you for everything you do here in our community and uh, afar. All right. I appreciate it. Real quick before we say bye, like the producer said, uh, how do we get in touch with you? Uh, social media. So Green Path Training on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm a sole proprietor. So when you reach out, I'll be the person you'll be connecting with. And uh, thank you for your time. All right, Ellen. Thank you for coming on. And you can reach me at Joe the Weed Guy on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, Cannabis Corner Radio on Facebook, Greenhaven Media on Instagram and Facebook. And I think I got it all. We are saying goodbye. There comes the music. Thanks again, Alan. Uncle Lou dropped out a little earlier, but I'm sure he says happy, say happy, healthy, and high. And we will see you next. Oh, we're off there next week. Take care. Bye-bye, Alan. Love you. Bye. Love you, bud. Until I got high <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom But then I got high uh, My room is still messed up And I know why Why, man? Yeah, hey, cause I got high Because I got high Because I got high I was gonna go to class Before I got high Come on, y'all Check it out uh, I could've cheated And I could've passed but I got high. Uh, uh, I'm taking it next semester, and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next. Go to the next. Go to the next.